2: This is the Steelers Preview Show on WDVE Pittsburgh. Here are your hosts, Mike Prasuda and Matt Williamson.
0: Good evening and welcome to another edition of Steelers Preview here on your Steelers flagship 102.5 DVE. I'm Mike Persuda joined as always during this hour by Matt Williamson. We are your Steelers Preview tag team. Every Thursday night from 7 to 8 here on DVE and SNR. Getting you ready for the upcoming opponent in this particular instance. That would be the Houston Texans. So We'll get to today's practice details and start breaking down Sunday's game in just a minute. But before we do, I just want to remind everyone that our 13th annual Radiothon for Children's Hospital is ongoing. Uh, the phone banks are silent right now, but if you want to contribute to the cause and make a donation, go to dve.com, and you can get that done. Uh, as you heard Chad Tyson uh, a moment ago, we'll also be wrapping things up on the DVE Morning Show tomorrow from 6 to 10 a.m. If you are finding us in market here in western Pennsylvania, you know what Children's Hospital means to not just WDVE, but everybody in the iHeart uh, Radio family. Uh, everybody uh, gets behind this and gives it a big shove. All of our friends from all of our uh, stations here in Pittsburgh, if you're from out of market, uh, go to dve.com and check it out. Uh, our 13th year uh, doing what we can for Children's Hospital. There isn't a better cause, and there is no donation too small, even if it's only a couple of bucks. Uh, if you feel uh, you can swing it, please do so. Uh, we are uh, honored to uh, do what we can for Children's Hospital each and every year here at DVE. Now on to the details. David DeCastro, a second consecutive day of full participation for the Steelers, so it looks like they get uh, their best guard back in the lineup on Sunday. For the Texans, wide receiver Brandon Cooks with a quad, running back Duke Johnson with an ankle and offensive tackle Laramie Tunsil with an elbow were limited for the Texans. Johnson did not play last Sunday against Baltimore, but Matt... Uh, I don't think this one's going to be about who's not playing. It's going to be about who's playing. And really, do we know uh, what to expect from both of these teams? Because the Steelers come in at 2-0, and but they have played a couple of relative cream puffs. And the Texans, I mean, taking on Kansas City on the road and Baltimore at home to start a season, they might as well have played the 67 Packers and the 85 Bears.
2: <laughs> right. Uh, it is kind of difficult to get a grasp on these two teams. I mean, the Bills are in that situation, too. They're, yeah, they're 2-0. and Josh Allen's playing great. Well, you play the Dolphins and the Jets. You know, like, let's show a little bit. It's small sample sizes. Um, this Houston team has their issues. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But they have a great quarterback who hasn't played great through two games but has been in a difficult situation Um, I think this is an extremely dangerous game for the Steelers. I mean, obviously, it's the best quarterback they've played, the most dangerous they've played. But I don't usually buy into these type of narratives. But, you know, Bill O'Brien gets that team to the playoffs every year. They've won the NFC South four out of five seasons. Even before Deshaun Watson got there, he was winning games with Osweiler and Fitzpatrick and guys like that. And I just can't you know, is Deshaun Watson going to be 0-3? It just seems unlikely.
0: Yeah, you look at the the track record that you referenced, uh, 10 wins a year ago, a playoff win a year ago. Wasn't the most artistic of playoff games, but you don't care at that time of the year if, you know, it's win or go home. Uh, Steelers didn't even make the postseason. Texans uh, survived and advanced. Uh, Nine first-round picks on the roster. This is supposed to be a year where continuity matters and 42 of the 53 were either with the Texans last year or on the practice squad. There's continuity in the coaching staff. You mentioned Watson, a, a phenomenal talent, but Dupree might even get blocked this time, Matt, uh, you know, he's going up against Laramie Tunsil, mm-hmm. an actual NFL left tackle. <laughs> right
2: No, you're you're hundred percent right. They, they have some star power. Oh, by the way, they have a Watt brother. Who's pretty decent, has a pretty good track record in this league. Um, they, Say what you want about Bill O'Brien. He's been the butt of jokes all off season. How can you trade Hopkins? He has no idea what he's doing. Trading first round picks left and right, but he gets his team to eight and eight every year with no quarterback. Gets them to the postseason. He knows how to win games in this league, and that's not a trait many you know head coaches possess on this planet right now. Um, again, I don't know. I did a Power Ranks the other day, and I had and my blurb for Houston was. They could be way too high. They could be way too low. They're the hardest team for me to rank out of the 32.
0: Yeah, it might be. Uh, might not, <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you on that. You know, We've established we both respect the Texans' uh, history, their yeah. resume, what, they, what they've what they done, who they are. But when I watched their game against the Ravens, uh, two things really jumped out at me. One, and this is kind of off point, but I watched uh, – I DVR'd the game and watched it intending to study Houston, and Baltimore kept jumping off the screen at me, Matt. Really I mean, I'm are, watching man. I'm watching Peter's, oh, he left his guy again and jumped the route and got an interception, and they run the ball down everybody's throat, and boy, Lamar Jackson is fantastic, and they bring waves of defensive backs at you in their sub package, and everybody can play, and the kicker can kick it from another state <laughs> right. and make – I mean, well Baltimore is and, at the yeah, right. top bye, of its bye. game. They are going to be a handful – but the Texans, Matt, 166 rushing yards allowed at Kansas City, and that was in uh, Clyde Edwards' first NFL game, and then 230 against the Ravens. And I know the Ravens set an NFL rushing record last year, and they're really good at it. But here was what really concerned me or what would concern me if I was a Texans fan. 808 left in the fourth quarter. It's 30-16 to 16 Baltimore. So, you know, you're, you're hanging by your fingernails. Yeah still being in the game. But, you know, you've got eight minutes left, two touchdowns, get a stop, try to get a quick score, see what happens, right? Instead, the Ravens get the ball, and they run it 12 consecutive times for 63 yards. There's seven yards of penalty in there because uh, the rookie, uh, Ross Blacklock, lost his mind and got thrown out of the game, probably because he got tired of watching Baltimore run the ball on uh, Houston. And uh, the Ravens end up getting another field goal. It was one of those – Just soul stealing drives where the Texans know they're going to run the ball. They got to get a stop, right? Bow up, get a stop, get the ball back for your offense, see what could possibly happen. Instead, they got it shoved down their throats. Not a good look for Bill O'Brien and his team.
2: No, you you said a lot of great stuff there. And I referenced the power ranks I I, I did. Um, I bumped Baltimore from two to one. And of course, Kansas City is going to go from one to two. They're the elite teams right now. And I remember a week ago, Mike, I said 400 times, oh, but they don't have Vaughn Miller. You know, and this week it's going to be, well, they played the best two teams in the league. You know, so I'm going to keep going back to that. And you're right. Baltimore, to me, after two games, looks better than they did last year, which is wow. And Lamar looks better. And I reference those two teams they played because the Chiefs have been super successful by throw, throw, throw in the first half, get up big. A lot of times they only run the ball like eight to ten times in the first half last year. Well, in this case, they studied the Texans all all summer long, and they draft this first round running back who's really more receiver than he is pure runner, and they ran the ball like crazy on opening night. You know that's not how they that's not their method of success over the years. So you think well, well Baltimore is probably going to run it right down their throat the next in week two. And of course they did. I mean, you could, anyone that looked at the box score said, wow, this team can't stop the run. And they can't. But what I found really interesting is in the first half, Baltimore only ran the ball like six or seven times first 20-some yards. They threw all over them. I mean, so both teams did the opposite of their usual routine of how to attack this Texans team, did it well got the lead as they so often do and then play with the lead and then you're doomed. And then this defense can't handle the run.
0: Yeah. And it was a lot of, uh, the Texans, uh, a lot of deep safety play. Uh, I think they were terrified of the big play against Kansas city. Absolutely. And so they, they, they just took the run. They just kept, yeah. they just kept doing it against Baltimore for whatever reason. I don't, you know, Particularly with the Ravens running game, I think you got to take a Steelers Giants approach to that and just say, you know, we're going to come up and smash it. And if you beat us on some one on ones, oh well, at least it's better to die quickly than by a thousand paper cuts uh, with that running game. Uh, the The Houston running game, the run defense concerns me. And you referenced uh, the DeAndre Hopkins move. You know, I, I I sort of get why they did it because he wanted uh, huge money and he wanted it right now, and it, it was against policy and all that. But, man, they don't have any identity in their passing game all of a sudden. And you go from Will Fuller, who was really good as a complement to Hopkins. When those two guys were healthy last year, this was a hell of an offense. Will Fuller goes for 112 against Kansas City. I and mean, he doesn't get targeted against the Ravens. Now, he was, he was in and out because of a hamstring, but – for him not to get the ball even thrown his way one time. Uh it's nuts, yeah. Y- you don't have your passing game figured out if you can't find that guy at least once.
2: Yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, the lack of identity. I mean, it, it, over the last couple of years, it's been like a, a well-known fantasy thing that when Hopkins and, and Fuller were on the field together for Watson, he was going to score more fantasy points than just about anybody in the league. So I think they moved on from Hopkins, first of all, because of the money. But also I was told that it was kind of like getting Steve Smith out of Carolina when they had Cam Newton, that he was the incumbent. He was a big personality. We want our young quarterback to be in charge of It's his team now. And he doesn't have this alpha receiver, the AB mentality of needing the football and forcing him the ball. So we're going to spread it out. The fuller cooks Cobb who they spent too much money on and stills. And then you have two really good receiving backs, Johnson and Johnson, and they actually are using the tight ends this year, who I think are pretty good players too. So they've kind of looked at it, I think, as give me a bunch of pieces and people will be, won't be able to key on us as much as they did with DeAndre. And Watson will spread it around and John Stockton and Isaiah Thomas it up a little bit and be a point guard. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not at all what's happening. You know, it's just not working out. Totally different way of playing playing football.
0: Yeah, and while you, you give them... Uh, their degree of difficulty regarding the schedule. I think CBS had a graphic during the Ravens game based on winning percentages from the previous season. Nobody has had a tougher opening two games since the Miami dolphins in 1968. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. it, 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 the deck was stacked a little bit, but also not real competitive for 60 minutes, Matt. I mean, 34 to 20 at Kansas city. Now Andy Reed piled on with a late field goal for no reason uh, in the opener. And then thirty three to sixteen against the Ravens. So we got a team that doesn't stop the run, and hasn't found its passing identity. And this team has not scored more than twenty points in two games, and it has not failed to give up at least thirty three in two games. That's uh, those aren't the kind of numbers that uh, portend great things moving forward.
2: No, it sure doesn't. And uh, we very might you know after sixteen games, we might write the book of the Texans as wow, this was a pretty high-quality team that just faced by far the best two teams in the league that was, you know, like when I was growing up, Niners and Cowboys, Aikman, Young, you're destined to play each other and the winner was going to the Super Bowl and it's the Chiefs and Ravens and then 30 other teams. I mean, Maybe that's how this season goes. And from this point on, the Texans win 60% of their games and are a quality football team and just got beat by the two biggest bullies in the league. But you're right. I mean, I, I think that even just looking at them on paper, there's not a lot of strengths. And, you know, you mentioned their identity. I don't know how familiar you are with this, but I want our listeners to know, because this is kind of mind-boggling to me, is through two games, they have only called one design quarterback run for Watson. And they used to be the, like at the very top of the league in play-action passing, and Watson was very, very good at it. Now they're like at the bottom, you know, like, so the identity that they had that did work well, they've kind of done flipped everything on its head. It it makes little sense to me.
0: Yeah. I think he's doing enough running Watson, just running for his life back there. Maybe that's uh, been a factor. You know, uh, we mentioned Tunsell. He's really good at what he does. Uh, The other tackle is is a guy uh, by the name of Titus, Titus Howard, Mm -hmm. who was a first round pick last year from Alabama state, not Alabama. Alabama state raw only played half the year last year because of injury. So he is still a work in progress. Uh, I think this, this has the potential to be a TJ watt game more than a bud Dupree game for the Steelers. And also, uh, Zach Fulton, the right guard really struggled in that Kansas city game. And at left guard, they're, uh, alternating a couple of guys, Max Sharping and Sion Calamete. You know what they say, Matt, if you, uh, think you have uh two left guards you don't have one
2: yeah I so uh,
0: may- maybe we hear stefan Tuitt's name uh quite a bit this uh this sunday at heinz field as well uh kind of a little bit different circumstances but i still think the matchup up front favors the steelers uh defense to houston's offense favors the steelers significantly
2: yeah uh, the center's a decent player um watson as is the case with some of these guys. I mean, this was really really true for Wilson early in his career in Seattle. Everyone just said, boy, his line stinks. But if you hold the ball four or five seconds, you're going to take more sacks than the average quarterback too, you know? And part of that is because he'll hurt you so bad late in the down because he's such a playmaker behind the line of scrimmage. Um, He's had some terrible lines in Houston. I do think this is the best one he's had yet. A lot of that's because of they trading two first-round picks for Laramie Tunsil. It better be an upgrade. But it's not a high-end unit. And you're right. I mean, T.J. Watt versus Howard absolutely favors the Steelers. The Steelers' interior, big big men against their guards and centers, absolutely favors the Steelers. And again, he's going to hold the football. But the Steelers bring so many people now. Their blitz percentage is so high. And the people chasing these quarterbacks – or every bit as athletic as Watson. I mean, I, I don't see him running around like crazy for five and six seconds behind the line of scrimmage with five Steelers chasing. him.
0: Yeah. That blitz <laughs> percentage you referenced, uh, it's only 61.7%. It's insane. <laughs> Second in the NFL is Miami at 47.5. That's according to ProFootballReference.com. Uh, that, uh, that's a site that, uh, football writers hold in biblical regard. Uh, <laughs> Everything's on there if you can only find it. Last year, the Steelers were blitzing at a 36.9% rate, so they're bringing it this year, and it's been working. We'll see if it works again on Sunday. A lot more to get to tonight, so uh, keep it right here, whether you've got us on DVE or SNR. Matt and I will be coming at you until 8 o'clock tonight getting you ready for Steelers-Texans. This is Steelers Preview on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE.
2: Back to the Steelers preview show on DVE.
0: Welcome back to Steelers preview, Mike Pursuta, along with Matt Williamson. We are getting you ready for the Steelers and the Houston Texans on Sunday at Heinz Field. As much fun as those first two games have been for the Steelers, a couple of victories over the New York Football Giants and the Denver Broncos, I think uh, what we're going to see Sunday will be more revealing in terms of what kind of team these Steelers really have. Because uh, the Texans, while winless, are better than both the Giants and the Broncos, at least in my estimation they have been. I think they are again, and I think uh, the degree of difficulty is ratcheting up. Uh, Time now to uh, find out uh, a little more about those Texans from a guy who knows them better than either Matt Williamson or myself. That would be the one and only John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. John has only been covering football in the great state of Texas for 45 years. Uh, If you want to talk NFL in general or Houston football, whether it's the Oilers or the Texans in particular, John McClain is your guy. He's also been in a bunch of movies as uh, either a sports writer or uh, in one role he even played a judge. Uh, That's the kind of versatility John McClain brings. No, he is not the hero of uh, Nakatomi Plaza, not that John McClain. But uh, football people know who John McClain is. And We had a chance on the DVE morning show yesterday to catch up with John for a few minutes. So uh, let's go now to uh, John McClain's visit with Randy Bauman and the DVE morning show.
1: It's Randy Bauman and the DVE morning show on your radio home of the Pittsburgh Steelers. 102.5 DVE joining us. Now he's covered the NFL for the Houston Chronicle for 45 years. A sports talk radio host, a movie star, the venerable, john mcclain ladies and gentlemen give him a big round of applause good morning john how are you
3: boy i'm a lot better after that introduction especially the part about the movie star yeah <laughs> well you know now you've
1: got a you've got a, a number of credits to your uh uh, uh um, imdb profile at this point so uh, are there any movie plans on the horizon for you are you going to be in the next Mission nah. impossible
3: No, I've got a bad agent. and (laughs) I I don't pay any attention to IMDb, but people tell me it's not up to date. I don't even know who did it. Usually uh, an agent keeps up with that. My agent's done a terrible job, and I haven't been in any (laughs) movies since Fundbreakers with James Franco and Selena Gomez and Vanessa Hutchins, and and, uh, so I need a new agent. Of course, my agent is me. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you might have to crack the whip a little bit. Well, speaking of Mission Impossible, Bill O'Brien trades away DeAndre Hopkins. He has 20 catches now in two games with Arizona, which is an NFL record, apparently, for a receiver in his first two games of the new team. Will Fuller, no targets last week. Watson's two touchdowns, both the tight ends. Are the Texans going to be able to make up for the loss of DeAndre Hopkins this year without another clear wide receiver threat?
3: No, I don't think they will this season. That wasn't the idea. Hopkins actually has 22 catches, an all-time record for a player in the first two games, and that's exactly what people here expected him to do because that's what Hop did here. And uh, He'd still be here if he hadn't demanded his contract be redone with three years left and get a $10 million a year raise. They were trying to they had to re-sign they wanted to re-sign Sean Watson they thought that was imperative and left tackle Laramie Thompson. And they just weren't going to do it had he waited another year they would have redone it with 2 years left and uh but he insisted he had talked about it to us off the record quite a bit for the last year and uh so they had only redone one in team history with 3 years left that was Andre Johnson and it was a, an unfair deal because he didn't have a good rep at the time, and Bob McNair told general manager, Rick Smith, you need to redo that and be more uh, fair in the next one, and so they redid Andre Johnson, and they redid J.J. Watt with two years left, and left tackle Dwayne Brown came in and won his done, and Rick Smith, the GM, said, we redo him with one year left, and he said, well, you did it for Watt, and he basically said, well, you're not White, so He uh, caused a (laughs) lot of problems got traded to Seattle where he got a new deal. So um, we're not surprised at all about what Hopkins has done. Uh, They brought in Brandon Cooks. Uh, He had five catches for 98 yards against Baltimore, Randall Cobb, running back David Johnson, who came in at trades, a really good receiver. So they've got three new ones. But when you don't have your go-to guy, especially on third down, and and uh, that's that's going to be a big uh, detriment to this offense. And their main problem to this offense is they've played at Kansas City and Baltimore. No team has played a schedule anywhere near as tough as the Texans' first two games. And now they get to come to Heinz Field, almost at three rivers.
0: John, what's the bigger <laughs> problem on defense? It, it, it looks like on the back end they're still trying to figure out who plays where and when. But up front it looks like they forgot how to tackle uh the, it's not encouraging the amount of rushing yards they've allowed, even given the quality offenses that uh, Houston's played.
3: And that's the thing. Uh, we didn't expect much out of the defense because their defense just didn't very good. And, and so we knew they'd have problems now. And, the, and they had always been able to stop the run in nine, 2018, they were third in the league, gave up 81 yards a game through the first nine games last season they gave up 84, and then and they had a seven in a row, which they gave up 74. And then all of a sudden they played the Ravens. The Ravens had 256, and from that point on, through 11 games, they're giving up 170 yards a game rushing, and that's fine if you're forcing turnovers. They don't have a turnover in the first two games. If they don't have one against the Steelers, that'll be three in a row for only the second time since bill o'brien's been a coach since 2014 so they're not getting the ball out and they played mahomes and jackson in two regular season games last year they wanted kansas city lost at baltimore and those two combined for seven touchdown passes in this one in this season they've combined for four but they couldn't stop the run and and jackson had one one yard touchdown pass that was it he didn't hurt him running uh, the running backs hurt them running, especially in the fourth quarter when they rushed for 153 yards, including five explosive runs. So I would imagine the Steelers will come out and try to establish a run. Texans did well for three quarters against the Ravens, and then when Baltimore got ahead and just pounded the ball, they killed them in the fourth quarter. So it's, it's not hard to see what the strategy will be uh, because until the Texans prove they can stop it, that's what they're going to get.
1: All right, well, then on the other side of the coin there, the strategy defensively for the Texans, they don't have to face a mobile quarterback for the first time this season. You know, Big Ben, he's a future Hall of Famer, but he's not Mahomes or Jackson when it comes to being able to to be a threat with the run. Are we going to see the Texans just try to attack Big Ben?
3: Well, I would imagine they'd be stupid if they didn't. They had four sacks on Lamar Jackson, two by J.J. Watt, They had one in the first game, and so the pass rush looked better, but the fact is uh, the defense is just not very good. The secondary, Mike mentioned about moving a lot of guys around in the secondary. They've got uh, two new starters. They've moved a corner, Lonnie Johnson Jr., in his second year to be a backup safety as well. So they're shuffling parts, but to me the secondary hasn't been the issue. They haven't been beaten down the field. Mark Andrews had one catch. Last year he killed them first game against Cleveland two touchdown catches they did a really good job against Andrews uh, Lamar Jackson had three explosive plays same as Deshaun Watson did it was the running game that killed them so their pass defense has not been bad but they couldn't they couldn't stop a clock and uh, when it comes to the run and then on the offense they're <laughs> out of sync and discombobulated right now and that to me has been much bigger disappointment than the defense john you've been involved with the uh, pro football hall of fame for a
0: long time uh, throughout your storied career Uh, can you assess uh, the chances that bill nunn gets in
3: i would think bill nunn is a lock i'm on the i'm on the regular section committee senior selection committee coaching section committee and when we Nominate a senior, or a coach, or a contributor. They're a lock. The only one that wasn't was Paul Tagliabue, Now he got in. I was on that um, Centennial Committee uh, last year that celebrated the 100-year anniversary, in which we put 13 in, and and uh, so Bill Nunn is a lock. He's going in. Another Steeler. I was glad we've got finally got Donnie Shell in there too. Now, eventually, I'm hoping we'll get in L C Greenwood.
1: John McClain, 45 years with the Houston Chronicle covering the Houston Texans, the Houston Oilers. It's forgivable that you say Three Rivers. I mean, we still say stuff like that around here. We never let go of the past. Well, good. I don't
3: feel so bad then.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know you got places to be. Thanks for making time for us this morning, John. We always appreciate it. Hope to talk to you again in the future and continued success. We'll talk to you soon.
3: Guys, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Have fun this season and stay safe.
1: You know, I've do, I've known John
0: McClain for about 32 of his 45 years uh, with the Houston Chronicle, and he is one of those guys that uh, such a character and yet a wealth of information. Uh, great to hear his breakdown of the Texans. Great to hear him say Bill Nunn is a lock for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And great to hear him say that L.C. Greenwood belongs as well. It's not just uh, people in Pittsburgh or who are associated with the Steelers who think that. There's a guy who's on the committee, and uh, maybe someday – Uh, You never know. When we come back, we're going to welcome Merrill Hodge to the show. Merrill, uh, a regular guest with Matt and myself, and he's going to break down the Steelers for us as we continue getting a handle on the Texans at the Steelers on Sunday at Heinz Field. With Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Persuda. You're listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE.
2: Back to the Steelers Preview Show on DVE.
0: Welcome back, Mike Persuda and Matt Williamson with you until 8 o'clock tonight here on Steelers Preview on your Steelers flagship, two point D-V-E-N-S-N-R. We're getting you ready for the Steelers and the Texans on Sunday at Heinz Field. No better guy to do that than our regular guest here on Steelers Preview, Merrill Hodge. But Merrill, before uh, you start breaking down uh, what that uh, Denver running game did to the Steelers defense, you got to give us some details about the mighty Bull elk and bear hunt in New Mexico. Uh we're on the edge of our seats.
4: Uh, we call it the double B's, baby, and I didn't expect it, but I learned a long time ago. If you can have a bear tag, always get a bear tag. So that being said, I got a I got a big bull, seven by seven, um, around four o'clock in the afternoon, ironically. But we could only pack so much of it out. You know, I mean, they're a they're a massive animal. We we'd hiked in about a couple miles, so we we took half of it out, went back the next morning, and lo and behold, we get back the next morning, and actually, I see one of my hind quarters from my elk that I put up in a tree, and it was it was. Um, so when I you did, say I take half of
2: it, it out? You're chopping this thing up yeah. and just taking oh, half yeah, of its yeah, yeah. body out? Okay, yeah. okay. Uh,
4: I mean, cool actually my quarters. You quarter it out, you cape it. You, I mean. It's so much work. It's so so much work. Oh, golly. Anyway, um, I was like, okay, this ain't right. And I could tell it was half eaten. And I was like, okay. So then all our senses were like, okay, there's got to be a bear around here. And actually, I videoed the bear about, I'll bet you, 10 yards from me. I was hiding behind some trees and a bush, and he came walking by. And then he came back, and that was his mistake. He came back, and so uh, I got a bear, I got an elk, um, all with my bow, which that's how I prefer to hunt. And it was, uh, it was honestly, it was, it actually, it was about this time. I'm telling, what time is it? Yeah, I was almost exactly this time in the mountains um, last Thursday that I got the elk. That's amazing.
0: That is amazing. I, I, I need you to send me that bear video.
4: Oh, awesome! Right. Yeah, I okay. Yeah, well, you know, I'll send you the bear video and uh, the elk pictures and the bear pictures. I'll send them. The video's cool because he, he was keeping. But- he was down by a watering hole, and he was keeping all these other elk from coming in to drink. Like he'd come down and he'd race across the, the pond and chase them off. It was it was a, it was a, a true wild kingdom. It was an awesome experience.
2: Does one arrow kill a bear?
4: Oh yeah, I mean you, you shoot it right. <laughs> okay. you, you shoot it right. I mean my my elk. I shot my elk at thirty one yards. He went two yards. I shot that bear at twenty one yards, and he went fifty yards. Luckily, and, not at you. Well, that is very true. Okay, that is very true. <laughs> I'm appreciative of that. because neither one of us had a gun, which is not very smart, actually. Um, but yeah, I would think um, you'd with, want to bring one on just in that.
0: case. Even yeah, you know, being the mighty yeah, yeah. mighty bow hunter and all is great. Well, but yeah. Sometimes you got to go a little Harrison Ford on the on the animal, maybe. Uh, well, you know,
4: ironically, when when the bear was about ten feet away, I, I turned to my guy and go, "You got a gun?" He's like, "No." I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, I got my I got my bull back right away." <laughs> this is our only thing. If he catches wind of us, or you know, we 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 startle him. I mean, he, you never know how they'll react.
2: Huh. So, learn something. New well, mayor, every day. tell.
0: Meryl, tell us about uh, what you noticed on film. We've been texting in advance of the show. You're always uh, uh, overflowing with uh, stuff you want to get to, and you made uh, an observation that you think is pertinent regarding how the Broncos ran the ball at the Steelers. Please explain.
4: Yeah, you, know, you know? I think everybody's watched the game, and they, were, they may have been surprised or taken back that they uh, the Broncos ran the ball so well. You know, and they had some big holes too. By the way. And you know, and it, it, that's why TV lies and highlights really lie. Like you know, the game happens so fast. That's why you you can't really evaluate and study a team like that. Um So when I get when my tape gets in, I was like, oh my gosh, and now it's obvious because you know I I can watch just all the runs. What I'll do is I'll just take a look all the runs, all the passes together. Then I look at it as a game. But they were doing it was kind of interesting, like this, like this jet motion, you know, they'd snap they'd, they'd motion, the guy, and then they'd snap the ball just as he passed the quarterback. So for whatever reason, it, it confused the Steelers. And it removed a linebacker. Oftentimes it was Williams. He would follow the motion guy all the way outside the box. And um, when you remove somebody from the box, somebody has to replace it because everybody has a gap responsibility and this goes for really any NFL runner. If you're in the NFL now, you're good enough to do this. If they make a mistake and they leave a gap open, you're going to find it. you know. And that's what was happening early. You know, they did a lot of different motions. They didn't handle the bunch package very well. They would release a tight end and looking a like on a hot route, pull somebody out. So they were doing a good job of creating all these looks to pull at least one guy out of the box. And that one guy that got pulled out of the box was where the back ended up going. Now, they cleaned it up in the second half, but the reason you have to you have to talk about it and, you know, be noticed of it because they struggled with that. And so when teams see that the next time, don't be surprised if the Texans don't do something similar. Because they'll say, listen, they struggled with this. Um, let's see if they handle it, you know. And that's how you start getting issues on your team is when uh, you can't handle something and you don't fix it, you're going to keep seeing it, you know. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the Texans do, because they they're struggling on every phase of the game, on or every phase on offense. Um, their running game is not very consistent, so um, this is probably something I think that they're clearly going to try to get maybe their team rolling.
2: Merrill, what's your take on the Steelers' running game? I mean, there was a lot of Steeler Nation saying, boy, you got to run the ball more than you did last week and put, put this team away, and the, the run-pass ratio wasn't real strong on the run side for the first three quarters or so. Uh, I've noticed that the early down success hasn't
4: been great,
2: but at the end of the day, you had 200 yard rushers.
4: Well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say this here. here here's how, um, what I thought was the thing that was most disturbing on the Monday night game. Um, James Connor is, listen, there's very few people in the world or in the national football league that are dancers and can be dancers and be successful. Maybe Barry Sanders. And even he would put them in bad spots because there would be a lot of second and third long yardage situations um, because he would do that. Now he made some amazing, incredible, um, eye-popping, mind-blowing plays and runs in his career. Uh, Very few guys like that that exist in the NFL. Um, And Monday night he didn't – and I think as a running back you have a job. Your your job is to complement what they do up front. Um, If you're going to give me a crack, then I got to get a yard. If you're going to give me a yard, I got to get two yards. You know, um, if you get me untouched for five yards, I better break a tackle and make 10, 15. Now against um, uh, last week, um, what I thought James Connor did a great job of against the Broncos is he did that. He was decisive. He got a yard. He got two yards. You know, people go, he got all his run, his yards on that last round. Well, that's a product of doing it right the entire game. Now, granted, it was blocked beautifully, too. Let's not ignore that. It was – I mean, they I, I can't remember who was pulling, but they logged. They got kickouts. I mean, then he, then he breaks a, an arm tackle, and, and he was off to his races. I mean, that's – I
0: think it was Filer oh, and Watt. Get
4: better. Yeah, and I, so it yeah, was blocked block beautifully, too. But he complimented what, they, what was happening up front, where he didn't really do that on the Monday night game. And I kind of saw a little bit of it last year, you know, and that's not how you have success in the NFL. You know, I tell people all the time in college, and this is where a real problem with evaluating running backs can be. In college, you play on the perimeter. Oftentimes, my guy's faster than your guy. We're uh, better than you like 70% of the time, and, you know, especially when the big colleges. And we can play like that. I won't play on the perimeter. I can outrun you. When I get to the NFL, we move the hash marks in closer. And now we it's a fist fight at the 50. We play in the middle. And you got to have the ability to start, stop, and be decisive. And if you can't and you don't have those things, you're going to struggle in the National Football League. Um, his name is escaping me, but the Denver Bronco running back who came from Wisconsin, um, San Diego. Um, Melvin Gordon. Yeah. yeah, Melvin Gordon. Okay, Melvin Gordon is a great example of that. That kid had like – this. I, this is not a lie. I want to – don't hold me to this, but I think he had about eight or nine runs of 70 to 80 yards his, his last year coming out of college, okay? I remember that very clearly because I said, now, go see who the leading rusher was in the National Football League and how many 70 or 80-yard runs they had. And it was – uh Oh, gosh dang it. His name escaped me again. He was with the Dallas Cowboys. He was with the Dallas Cowboys.
2: DeMarco Murray?
4: Uh, yes, DeMarco Murray okay. led the led, led NFL in rushing. His longest run, I think, was 35 yards or 40 yards. And and, and that didn't shock me. I mean, because that's how it is. You, you don't rip off 80, 70, 60-yard runs in the National Football League. It just doesn't happen. And he, shoot, he had like eight or nine of them in college. So when he got to San Diego, he really struggled. To his credit now, he really cleaned that up and he's become a very good runner. But getting back to the Steelers and James Conner, if he keeps running like that, he's gonna be a more productive runner. Their team's gonna be more productive, you know. And I and hopefully that that big run was or he understands as a result of how it was going the entire game. So that's how you gotta play and run in the NFL. Hopefully he keeps stay, he stays like that and stays the course he's a deadly runner when he runs like that. He's not a dancer. He's not a fancy runner. He is a – as long as he's decisive, he's a powerful physical runner, and that's how he should run.
0: Well, let me ask you about one run that uh, I hated that Connor had, Merrill, and that was the goal line run, Uh, third and one from the Denver two. And when I watched the play the first time, I noticed they had Eric Ebron trying to block Bradley Chubb. I think that's a recipe for disaster, and it did not work in this particular instance, either. But when I watched it again, I noticed it's a 10-man box against eight Steelers plus Roethlisberger, Connor, and then a one wide receiver out wide left. And as the play unfolds, there's a hole between the left tackle and the left guard, and that hole is filled by Denver safety Kareem Jackson, who's been doing this a long time, and he's uh, he comes up and plays the run. He's a tough guy, but he's 5'10 and 183 pounds. And six foot one, two hundred thirty-three pound James Conner saw that and broke the run right. Shouldn't he just put his shoulder down and run over the 183 hundred eighty-three pound safety and fall yeah. forward and at least get and at least get the first down, if not run him yeah. over and go into the end zone?
4: Well, you know, while you're sitting here talking, i like, I hope you keep going because I'm trying to pull it up right now so I have <laughs> the exact the exact run on my on my on my machine here. Now, if it was down, but it was down by the goal line, you're talking about that run and they'd lost yardage right? Did they lose? They yeah, lost uh, yards. The yep. Third
0: and one well, from the two. And he tried, He tried, He saw Jackson unblocked, so he immediately you know, right-turned Clyde. And by that time, Ebron was getting knocked back into Beaver County and Chubb was waiting for him. It was a disaster. Yeah. I mean, just put your shoulder down and go, right? And yeah, What quarter was that? Late second quarter, about a minute to
4: go. About a minute to go. It was the they, they ended quarter. up kicking... Well, okay, here, they here's they what kicked I like a short field goal. Okay, so I do like to be able to, if I can refer to it, um, we refer to it. So it's a minute 50. Maybe this is it right here. minute 50 you go in the second quarter. Yeah, here we go. Okay, they're on the five-yard line. So that's probably not it, right? He's on the five-yard line. Second by play by play. Yeah, okay, okay, I see. He's on the five-yard line. And they're kind of running a, a zone read, strong side zone. And he gets it. Here's my okay. You know, it's kind of funny. You, you, uh, if this is the play, it's either this one, 12,
0: 126 or, left, third and one from the Denver two.
4: Okay, so so it's the next one because see the reason I don't like that play, I don't like when I get my when a guy gets his shoulders turned towards the line of scrimmage. Then he can't has no vision to the backside. I want him square to the line of scrimmage. Okay, here it is. It's, it's third. Is it third and four? Third and one. No, no, no. All right, here we go. We go. We got third and one. on about the two yard line, right? Yep. Okay. Well, yeah. You know, right. The first. Okay. You know the first thing I, um, I I saw there at the point of attack, they lose. You should always look for the point of attack. And when Ebron loses, and there's penetration there, they don't get anybody blocked on the backside. I think you're talking about 22. You got to count for him. They 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 miss him, and that should be the, really the tackle okay. Have to eye him and take most dangers. But now. Get get I mean, the he missed him, right but he's 183
0: around. pounds, Merrill. Just run him over, right? You did run him over. You did run him over against Denver. You were running him over so much, they were talking to themselves. That
4: Hogar, right. hog or he's <laughs> killing us. But but you know who makes the tackle? It's not him. It's not him. It was the guy over Ebron. No, it's, it's the defense. It's yeah, it's Chubb. yeah, it's Bradley Chubb. But if he doesn't, doesn't go there, Madeline. if he just
0: runs over Jackson, it doesn't matter if Ebron
4: yeah. can't block Chubb. Well, but see, Jackson, he's trailing them. Actually, if they win at the point of attack, Jackson runs by this. See, this is the problem. You always go, when you're looking at the run, always look at the point of attack. Do they win at the point of attack? No, the Steelers get killed. I mean, Ebron's in the backfield. Number one killer in the running game, don't ever forget this, <laughs> penetration. If you get penetration at the point of attack, I'm telling you, your runner's dead. So, they don't win at the point of attack. Ebron's in the backfield. So, you know, in all fa- fairness to James Conner, he's got no option. You know, and, and twenty two is trailing him. Twenty two is not even a factor if you win at the point of attack. James Conner's in the end zone, turns around, and hands him the ball. So twenty two isn't a factor now. Thirty nine, who's coming in from the outside? Yes, if it's you and him as a runner, you're responsible for him because there's some guys you can't account for because it's, it's ten on eleven, and in certain runs you do say, hey, listen, we're going to double here, we're going to get the linebacker here, but this safety's unblocked. You got to finish him. Or you got to make him miss or you miss. You got to break the tackle. That happens a lot of times in the running game where you don't account for somebody, or you make the back account for him. But what what kills this play here is that Ebron gets just manhandled. When no, no happens, question, Meryl, We're gonna, we're going to have to leave it at that
0: because we are uh, about out of time. But uh,
2: you don't want to spend
4: any um, more time on this play.
0: Ah, uh, we could go another half an hour. Uh,
4: they all got they all got to do better
0: in short yardage. Uh, Meryl, thanks so much. Uh,
4: listen, absolutely. I'm agree with you on that. You can't get whipped like that down the goal line, period.
0: Okay, we'll leave, we'll leave it at that. Hopefully they do better <laughs> against the Texans. Merrill, go uh, go kill some more stuff and tell us about it next week.
4: Thanks, You man. got it, bro. I'll send you a video. See you, bud. Bye.
0: Merrill Hodge, uh, who's breaking it down. Uh, Matt, uh, you know, we could have gone on forever, but they used to have a play called 34. Not like we did. The, yeah, it, they used to have a play called 34 Boss, and Boss stood for back on strong safety and that wasn't necessarily that play, but it would have been back on strong safety. I would have liked the running back's chances, just saying. That's going to do it for tonight. Uh, I want to thank uh, John McClain, who joined us via audio tape. Thanks for Merrill for calling in from uh, uh, wherever Mighty Hunters hang out. I think he was in New Mexico last week. Who knows where he will be next week. Thanks to uh, Matt, uh, as always, for uh, steering the ship with me. Thanks to uh, Shirtless Tom behind the glass. And thank you for finding us wherever you found us. We'll do it again next Thursday. Uh, coming up, Steelers-Texans on Sunday. For Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Persuda. This has been Steelers Preview on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE. Good night, everyone.